Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning. If you are joining us for the first time, either here in person or online, welcome. We are honored to have you with us on such a beautiful day outside. It's really impressive. Uh, we're not complaining. Uh, we need the rain, uh, but it does, uh, does make for well, maybe a little extra challenge to, uh, to get here. So uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. And again, if you're joining us online, we're in week three of our series, The Kingdom Is. And our prayer through this series has been that we would learn more about what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. We would learn more about his values and virtues and how they grow within our lives and through our lives. We've said we want to live kingdom down, not culture up. And so a quick recap, again, if you're just joining us uh, in this series, the kingdom is week one was about grace as Pastor Mark kicked it off for us a couple weeks ago. Last week we talked about the kingdom was built on mercy and today we're going to jump back into the book of Matthew chapter 13 uh, and look at the kingdom is obtained through sacrifice. And so if you have a Bible and you want to join me there in Matthew uh, chapter 13. And while you're turning there, just a couple very quick uh, updates and announcements for you. Right after this service, we'll have a Costa Rica interest meeting for those interested in going on our June trip. Uh, our February team is getting ready. We leave in just a few weeks, but our June trip is starting to come together. And so if you want to be a part of that team and go on that trip with us in the Connection Center in the back of the auditorium, just stop by there. A little quick informational meeting to share some information about that trip. So uh, if you are interested, we would certainly love to have you go with us in June. Stop by the Connection Center. And then also, um, in the seats around you, you may see this little card. It looks like this. In our efforts to constantly try to give you uh, ways to be uh, informed, to know what's going on, and how to uh, know what's going on here um, throughout the church and on uh, the campus and stuff, we have this little card. You can scan that little QR code with your phone. It will take you to a little site, which then you can navigate from there. So uh, check that out if you want to continue to stay informed. And uh, it's a great way to do it. It's an easier way to get information. Okay? All right. If you, if, if you haven't already noticed, if, if as you've looked, if you've turned to chapter 13 of Matthew, if you haven't already noticed, or maybe in your study of chapter 13 of the book of Matthew in the past, it's full full of kingdom parables. Uh, all of them contain descriptions of the way uh, the kingdom is. And, and the reason uh, each of the parables describe different aspects of the kingdom of God is because the disciples that were walking with Jesus, that were with Christ, right, had certain expectations about the kingdom that were really different than the reality of the kingdom of heaven. So it's, it's really not much different than us today. Sometimes we can maybe formulate uh, a narrative of what we think the kingdom is or is to be about. So that's why it's so important for us that we take the time to really dig in, to truly understand the kingdom of heaven, the king's kingdom that will be our kingdom for eternity. And so by these parables, Jesus then is explaining to his followers what it is to, what it is to be in the kingdom, what it 
kingdom is going to be like, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom, and the specific aspects. And so we see him teaching that in Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46, two really short parables. So let's dig into what Matthew says here. As Jesus is speaking, he says in verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we have these two very short parables, the shortest parables that Jesus would teach us. And he's going to bring into view the true worth the true value of the kingdom of heaven. And if we can grab hold of it, I believe it transforms us. I think it transforms what we value, the way we live our lives, the, the decisions that we make throughout our lives. And so if we get, as we get into this, let's ask ourselves, what do I value? What is it in my life that I value? What is it in my life that I'm pursuing because it has value? And that's what these two parables are speaking to. They have much to say about what we pursue and what we value. And I think we all know this to be true. The value you place on something uh, is shown by what you'll give up for it. We make those kind of decisions daily almost, right? So when Jesus uses this concept in teaching about the kingdom of heaven, we can easily relate to it. He taught that finding the kingdom was like finding something of such incredible value that we would gladly leave everything else behind to have it. Nothing we could have, nothing we could hold on to comes close, comes close to what we can hold in Jesus and His salvation and His eternity. And so I have two principles for us today out of, these, out of this parable. And, and there's many, there's many principles, but two principles out of this parable. And I know what you're thinking. There's only three verses. This is going to be great. We're going to get out of here probably still while the storm is going. I promise we will, we will be here to get through these parables. <laughs> Here's your first principle. All are welcome. All are welcome. You look at the two parables and you see two people involved. The first parable, one man is working in a field. The second one, the man is a trader. He's a merchant in pearls. You could say that they are from two sides of the spectrum, if you will. Uh, one from a lower economy, one from maybe a higher economy, or to put it simply, maybe one poor and maybe one rich. But however, both are beneficiaries of the kingdom because both find treasure. Another contrast between these two. The first man is simply busy about his task or maybe even just passing by. Almost by accident, he discovers a treasure hidden in the field, right? He has no metal detector. He's not looking for treasure. He's not like following the map to find the X. He's not doing any of that, right? He's not even thinking about the treasure. He expects no changes in the moment to his circumstances at all. I mean, we could even say, if we want to speculate into the parable, he's maybe even plowing this field for the owner of the field, and his plow hits something, and it doesn't sound like a rock. It sounds so like something else. And when he gets out of, of and when he goes around the plow and he goes to what he hit, it turns his world upside down in the moment, right? Which is what happens when we encounter Jesus in the kingdom. 
On the other hand, the second man, the merchant, he knows treasure. This is his life. This is what he does. This is what he does on the daily. And he, he's been seeking treasure with diligence, with passion, right? This is what he does. His whole life is revolved around it. Pearls are his business. And he's dedicated himself to finding them. And he seems plenty, and I'm sure he's seen plenty of them over the years. He's probably got a collection of them. But suddenly, all, all that comes to an end, right? All the searching for pearls comes to an end when he reaches this pearl of great price, right? His need to search anymore is over. He finds one pearl. One. Because there's only one kingdom. Jesus' kingdom. Not my kingdom. Not our kingdom. Jesus' kingdom. One pearl worth it all. Worth more than everything else he has, he has ever possessed. These are the heirs of the kingdom. The man and the merchant, right? They're different. They're diverse. They're unalike. These are the people of God. These are disciples. Some go looking for answers and perhaps search for a very long time when at last by God's grace... They find a pearl of great value, the Lord Jesus. And to the salvation of their souls, he comes. Others are maybe oblivious to the true poverty of their own lives until that treasure kind of lands in their lap. It's not like they were looking for, it's unlooked for, right? And God in his grace reaches out and holds them and makes them his own, right? Different paths to the treasure, but the same treasure, Jesus and His salvation. This is the kingdom. I think there's an important lesson here for us about the nature of the kingdom and those who belong in it. We don't all look alike. And that's okay. We don't all have the same story, and that's okay. We haven't all faced the same struggles or trials or had the same mountaintop experiences of celebration and triumph. And that's okay. Not all of our stories sound alike and it's the way it's supposed to be because all are welcome. You're invited. And maybe for some reason you've believed that, that there is something within your life or in your past or, or through your life that, that, doesn't, that God's not welcoming you in, not calling you in, that you don't feel welcome. But, but here we see in Jesus' teaching about the kingdom, we see this diversity that all are welcome. There is no unwelcome. We're all invited. No matter the color of our hair or eyes or skin or the letters before or after our names, the location of our life or the proximity to riches or poverty, whether you're a somebody or a nobody from nowhere, these are the ones to be in the kingdom through faith in Jesus. Praise God. None, that none should perish. There are no types. Like, there are no types who, who, if they trust in Jesus, do not belong in his kingdom. Which means, of course, again, we all have a place here. You have a place here if you believe in Jesus. The kingdom of God has no outsiders. And the kingdom of God has no 
insiders. There are no outsiders and there are no insiders in the kingdom of God. Now I know in our daily lives, in the way we experience and walk through life here, we go through and experience the outsiders and the insiders ideology, right, and paradigm. But the kingdom of heaven is unlike that. The kingdom of heaven, there are no outsiders. There are no insiders. And when you and I are citizens of that kingdom, that means when the way we look and see others, we don't see them as outsiders and insiders. We see them as loved by God. Christ died for them. Meaning that this should influence our testimony to tell everyone. It should embolden our testimony that there are no, that to be separated out, there are no outsiders. All of us, All of us can receive the same grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. All are welcome. Notice another thing here about the two men in the parable. The kingdom, which you know, synonymously with the gospel and with Jesus, co- compels immediate response. Immediate response. No one had to tell the man in the field or the merchant what to do. Like they didn't go have to ask questions. Like, like the man in the field went immediately and sold all that he had so he could buy the field. The, the merchant went and sold all that he had immediately so he could buy the pearl. There was no hesitation. There was no, there was no meetings. There was no formulations. There, there was just action. There was a response, right? I think some like to think they can, they have time to get into the kingdom when they encounter the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus. Like, there's going to be time. Eventually, I'll, I'll get there. Which also could tell us there's, there's not a high value then placed at that moment in their lives on the kingdom and how, how beautifully magnificent and, and valuable it is above all other things. But I'll just eventually respond to it. But that's not the actions that Jesus was teaching us through the parable. He said that the men responded immediately with urgency. The, the man in the field went and sold all he had so he could buy the field. The man with the pearls went and sold all he had so he could buy the pearl. You notice something else. They each made the purchase personally. Like, at least the, man, the merchant probably had people around him on his team, maybe even an assistant if we want to bring this parable forward into modern times. Maybe he had an assistant that would handle all of his you know, logistics and administration pieces that he could say, hey, go, go buy that pearl. I want that pearl. Neither had anybody else do it for them. There was a personal response teaching us that we can't rely on the faith of others to grab hold of the treasure. This is a personal matter for each of us. Now, we respect, we honor others and their faith, but, but this is to be personal. Jesus' point is that it, it became theirs. It was personal for them. Which also says to us that He didn't just say the kingdom is like a treasure. He did say that, but that's not all that He said. He said the kingdom is like a treasure. He pointed out the personal response the man compelled, the merchant compelled. Why? Because it had no value to them unless they actually possessed it. Like we can see the kingdom, like the man who found the treasure in the field, he could look at it 
And it was beautiful. Maybe it sparkled and it shined within the sunlight. The pearl, when you see the pearl, and if you've seen expensive pearls, you know how precious and beautiful they are. Those, just to look at it is one thing. To have a, a knowledge that it's there is one thing. But in, it doesn't mean anything to us unless we possess it. And they possessed it, right? You had to actually possess it. We can know about Jesus. We can know about His salvation. But it doesn't mean it's not life-changing. It's not eternally changing unless we possess it through faith and belief in Jesus. And they possessed it. And what kind of value was it? How much was it worth? Here's my next point, number two. It was worth it all. It's worth it all. It's what Jesus points out, right? If you look back at verse 44, he says they, the man sells all that he has and buys the field. Verse 46, the merchant went and sold all that he had and bought it. Not a portion, not a few things, not just the stuff they didn't want, but they gave all. Now, I want to pause for a second because I don't want you, I don't want this to be misunderstood. They weren't purchasing salvation. They weren't buying their way into the kingdom. Rather, they understood the value of having Christ over anything and anyone else. And they were willing to give everything else, let go of everything else so their hands were open so they may grab on to Jesus. There is value here that's incomparable to anything else. The, the kingdom of God is incomparable in its worth and value. That's what the two men in the parable show us. They've done the cost-benefit analysis, right? They've placed the total worth of everything in their lives on one side of the scale. And they've placed the total value of the treasure of the pearl in the field on the other to find the benefits possessing those, the treasure and the pearl, far, far outweighs anything they could have had or ever had within their lives. Far outweighs the sacrifice or the cost of obtaining the treasure. Jesus Christ, listen, Jesus Christ, having Him, knowing Him, enjoying the forgiveness that only He can provide, having our conscience made clean by His blood, being adopted into His family, made heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, being changed into His likeness from one degree of glory to another, being guided in all of our confusions, comforted in all of our sorrows, rebuked in all of our wanderings, per preserved through all of our dangers, and brought safely home at last. All that makes Jesus Christ infinitely prized and precious over all other things. There is no other. There is no other person or thing that we could possess that could bring and do that in our lives. The psalmist understood this. The psalm of Asaph, Psalm 73. Look at what he says in verses 25 and 26. He says, Whom, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. 
My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We say around here a lot that heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. Jesus is our treasure, the pearl, more valuable to us than anything else. He's worth letting, he's worth letting all things go to hold on to the one who holds us. The man in the field knew when he found this treasure that it was beyond comparison. Nothing could rival it. The man with, with the pearls, he knew when he found the pearl of great value. He needed no outside counsel. He needed no other, no other person to, to determine its value. He knew its value. One writer said this about these parables. He said, in this sin-stained, fallen, trial-ridden world is a treasure of such worth that it makes destitute sinners, poor, wretched creatures like us, the richest of all people for all eternity. In this kingdom, there's forgiveness and joy and love and peace and grace and glory, and there is Christ because those things are in him and from him. So my question is, do our lives reflect that the greatest of riches is found in Christ's kingdom? Like his value never depreciates. Like it's never going to be written off the books. We will spend eternity, we will spend eternity discovering the true dimensions of his infinite worth to the unending satisfaction of our hearts. Is there anything else that you can think of that you've encountered, that, you've, that you possess that can do that? And I would say the answer is no. Here's another question. Do others, do others see us value Jesus ultimately? To the sacrifice and cost of maybe losing a promotion or a job or, or a material thing or, money or whatever it may be within our journey home because we hold Jesus ultimately as the supreme treasure. He is our great satisfaction and yes, He is worth it all. So to obtain the field, the man must sell all he has. To, to get the pearl, the merchant must sell, relinquish all of his other treasures. We can't have both. That's what Jesus' point here. We can't, you can't have both. One foot in Jesus' kingdom, one foot in your own kingdom. You can't, we can't have both. So to take hold of the infinitely valuable grace of God in Jesus Christ, we must relinquish our, our hold on, on, on our rotten rags of life, right? It's, it's a full surrender is what he's saying. But how often do we go throughout our lives and, and, and at times we maybe drift into this where, where we're, we're holding on to the salvation of Christ, but, but man, I, I've then put my arms around some things here too. It's a full surrender. It's not Jesus and. To put our hand in the Savior's hand, we must let go of the counterfeit treasures to which we've been clinging it's really what the Bible means when it talks about repentance. 
It means letting go of all that is not Christ as a center and the foundation and source of satisfaction in our life. Letting all that go and running, running, and clinging to and resting upon Jesus as our everlasting treasure. And it, listen, if, if Jesus wasn't able to satisfy everything in our lives, then why repeatedly is he bidding us to come to him? If there was something else here or someone else here on earth who could satisfy, quench the thirst, fill the hunger of our lives, then why would Jesus always bid us to come to him? He always has. He always will come and trust. Isaiah knew this. Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2. He says, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Come you who have no money, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your labors on what doesn't satisfy? Come. Come. Trust me. I'm the treasure. And I can satisfy your heart like no one else. It's worth it. Whatever we sacrifice, whatever we give up for the sake of the kingdom, whatever we surrender for the sake of the kingdom, listen, here's a promise I'll make, and I don't do this often. We will never regret. We will never want to refund or want to exchange this kingdom for something else because of the value far surpasses all that we could call sacrifice in the here and now. The Apostle Paul understood this in great, in great depth. And he gives us his understanding in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. Let me read this for us. He writes, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew. Paul understood this parable. Paul knew what it was to give up all that he had gained because it, had it was nowhere close to what he has in Christ. I mean, that's what he says, right, in verse 8. I count everything as loss. Now, if he would have stopped there, it'd be depressing and you wouldn't come back. But he keeps going. He says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus personal, my Lord. He says, for his sake, I've suffered 
that loss of sacrifice, right? And I count it as rubbish. Now, Paul, now Paul, he was someone of standing. He had power and prestige and reputation. No doubt he had accumulated things. He probably had money, all that. But in his moment, his collision with Jesus on that road, when he encountered Jesus in the kingdom of God and Christ and salvation, it changed everything. It transformed him. He understood this was, Jesus was worth it all. Paul's also a great example that everyone is welcome because before that moment, Paul was probably one of the greatest enemies of the time to Christianity as a persecutor of Christians, even to the point of death. The kingdom invites everyone in and it's worth it. Let me finish with a story I read several years ago about a little girl named Jenny. You may have heard this before, and if you have, please indulge me for just a moment. Jenny was a bright five-year-old. One day, as she and her mom were at the grocery store in the checkout line, there was a toy pearl necklace hanging there, and she asked her mom if she could buy it. And her mom said, Jenny, that necklace is $2.50. That's a lot of money. And Jenny said, but mom, I want that necklace. And her mom said, well, here's the deal. I'll buy the necklace for you, but we're going to put a list of chores together when we get home that you'll do, and you'll have to kind of work to pay for the necklace. And, and Jenny said, Mom, that's, Mommy, that's wonderful. That's so wonderful. So Mom bought the necklace. Jenny went home and began her chores, and after a few weeks of doing them, she had finally paid off her necklace, and Jenny loved this pearl necklace of hers. She would wear it everywhere. When she would go with mom on errands, she would wear it. She'd wear it around the house. She'd wear it playing. She'd wear it to bed. She just wouldn't wear it in the shower because mom told her it'd make her, ne her neck turn green. But she loved her pearl necklace. She also had a loving daddy as well. He would read her a bedtime story every night. And one night, when he had finished the story, he said to her, Jenny, do you love me? And Jenny said, yes, Daddy, you know that I love you. And he said, can I have your pearl necklace? And she said, oh, oh no, oh, no, Daddy, not, not my pearls. You can have Rosie, my favorite doll, my favorite doll. Remember her? You, you gave her to me on my last birthday, and you can even have the tea set that comes with her so that you can have tea, but not, not my pearls. Is that okay, Daddy? And, and he said, that's okay, sweetie. And he gave her a kiss goodnight and walked out. A week later, he was reading, reading her a bedtime story again. And after he got done, he said, Jenny, do you love me? And she said, yes, Daddy, you know that I love you. And he said, then will you give me your pearls? And she said, oh, Daddy, not my pearls, but you can, you can have ribbons, my toy horse. Do you remember her? She was my favorite. Her hair is so soft. You can play with it. You can braid it. You can have ribbons if you want her, Daddy. And he said, no, that's okay. And he gave her a kiss goodnight, and he left the room. Several days later, when Jenny's father came in to read her a story and tuck her in, she was sitting on the end of the bed her lips were quivering, hands were trembling. She held out her hand and she said, here, Dad. And when she opened her hand, the beloved pearl necklace was inside. And she let it slip into her father's hand. And with one hand, her, her daddy held on to that plastic beaded necklace and he slipped his other hand into his pocket and he pulled out a blue velvet box. He handed it to her and inside the box were real, genuine, pearl necklace. He'd had it the whole time. 
He was just waiting for Jenny to give up her small trifles for the real treasure. Isn't that so true of us? C.S. Lewis famously said, the author, the pastor, the, you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia is one of his works. It's a famous quote. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. It's worth it all. There's a phrase that I waited until this moment to point out. Verse 44. Probably the most important phrase, I would believe. But as he teaches this parable, Jesus talking about the man who found the treasure in the field, he says this, in his joy. In his joy. It was intentional. It was purposeful for Jesus to make sure we understood that there was a joy because of the value that we would have. Listen, God's not upset that we want to be happy. I think sometimes the Christian life and the the life, the godly life of walking with Jesus home, sometimes it's looked upon as that's just, you know, misery and drudgery and it's, you know, begrudgingly, yes, I'll, I guess I'll give up all the things of the earth and temporal things that do not last. I'll go and just be, you know, unhappy the rest of my life and then I'll experience happiness once I get there. God's not upset that we want to be happy. Rather, He's upset for us because we choose to pursue happiness in things beside Him. May that not be true of us starting today. Let's rejoice in Him and His kingdom. Let's hold on to Jesus. And for some of us, it might mean letting go of some things here. Let's rejoice. His kingdom welcomes us. Because of Jesus Christ, the Savior King. And He's worth it. He's worth it all. Let's pray. Father, God, help us. Help us to see with clear eyes the value, the infinite value that we have in Christ. His kingdom that is the only kingdom that will be forever. Help, help us in seeing that to allowing it to really move in our day-to-day -day through us in the way we engage and talk with others around us. And we would see that we are all welcome. And those that we engage throughout our life are welcome through a, through a response of repentance and, and faith, they're welcome. As Paul said in Philippians 
It's not my righteousness by following the law, meaning it's, it's not I get there because I can do good things or, or not do bad things. It's by Christ's righteousness and by faith in that. God, may that be true of everyone watching online, sitting here, that by our faith in Jesus, we have an eternity that is worth it all. And as you lead us throughout our lives, God, may we know that the things you bring into our lives to bring through our lives were just conduits to be used by you to, to, glory, to glorify your name, to expand your kingdom here on earth. Because one day that kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever. And may we invite everybody to be with us in that kingdom because it's worth it. It's worth it all. We pray this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.